one of the predictors of what keeps people together is having similar interests. Out of the ashes you will rise. If you feel sad, lost, depressed, finances are in the gutter, social life, you're lonely. Out of the ashes you will rise. Here in my garage, invest in yourself. Always be curious. Don't be a cynic. Sleeping on a couch in a mobile home with only $47 in my bank account. When everything's burnt to the ground, when you're sad, lost, and depressed, and everything's at rock bottom, you get to rebuild the exact and precise way you want the damn thing rebuilt. Health, wealth, love, happiness, each of these four goals coming up today. But there is a lot of agreement about, you know, who's who's high in make value, who, who are the eights and who are the sixes and who are the fours. And it's a it's a harsh fact of life. We we people have different value. Ty's Daily Diary, Sunday, uh, September third, twenty seventeen. What am I doing? This is a little segment I do my daily diary. Don't always do it every day, but this is what today's is. I'm in Palm Springs. Why do I go to Palm Springs? Well, there's a concept that I came up with that's helped me a lot in life. It's called a thinking trip. And I was reading a book about Bill Gates and I saw that he gets so busy, he says, you know, especially when he's running Microsoft, becoming the richest man in the world 18 times in a row, that he would take vacations just to read and think. So I already read a lot during the week because it's kind of part of my business, but I don't always get time to step away from the crowd and think. So I'm here in Palm Springs, I'm coming here, then I'm going to jet down to San Diego later today. I got to my, to my beach house down there, but I could just come to this resort in Palm Springs. I bring probably four or five, sometimes up to 10 people from my office. But I spend most of my time by myself, and I really just catch up on stuff. So I'm catching up right now on some new experiments. I'm launching a new program. I've been recording the content for it on how to turn your social media into a business. If you want to check it out, it's at tylopez.com slash secrets. And, you know, it's been really interesting to watch over the years as I've done these thinking trips that I'm like, you know what, every time I do one, I come away being like, I need to do that more often. (laughs) So try it for yourself. And here's kind of the rules, the three rules of a thinking trip that I've found work well for me. Number one, needs to be more than at least 100 miles from your house or approximately a two-hour drive. So it doesn't have to be super far away, but in order for your brain to clear its mind of distractions around home you got distance is important so Palm Springs is around two three hour drive from where I live in LA number two bring books catch up on your reading number three bring projects you've been procrastinating on that are important and when I follow those three things it's great and you don't need a fancy hotel like I actually you know I get a suite, but you know, this suite here in Palm Springs costs like 300 bucks a night. And if I was starting out over again, I I didn't have as big a budget. I just get a hundred dollar a night room. So you actually don't want too nice of a room because then you get all distracted and it feels too much like a pure vacation versus a, 
chill, you know, chill, enjoyable experience. So yeah, I've been working on my, so I'm getting ready to record a video right now on, uh, this is for the people who got in the, the program at tylerpresent.com slash secrets. I'm recording one on how to get an extra 10,000 Instagram followers. I've been talking about this concept of HTNs, which stands for a uh, highly targeted niche. You know, a lot of people don't realize with social media, you don't need that many followers if they're highly targeted. In fact, if you had a choice between 100,000 scattered followers, meaning, you know, all different ages, different genders, uh, different countries versus 10,000 followers all from around the same place with the same interest around the same age range, it's way better to have the 10,000 highly targeted. The HTN concept people don't realize with social media because if you're trying to monetize them, I just recorded a lesson yesterday on something called MMI. So your MMI, you take your HTN and you use your MMI on it. And your MMI is your money-making industry. So like for me, I'm in the education business, I'm in the book business, fitness business, supplement, clothing. So I've got a few MMIs, but when I was starting, whatever, you, you want to start out with one MMI. And in order to monetize a social media following, you don't need a million followers. I mean, I'm lucky enough now to have 2.4 million Instagram followers, but I started out with, you know, 100. And you can start to monetize a social media following at around five to 10,000 followers. Um, you can theoretically do it with less, depending on what your MMI is. If you have a high ticket MMI, then you can monetize with a thousand HTNs, you know, highly targeted niche followers. So yeah, it's a cool program. I like to, you know, I like to come to Palm Springs. I can think a lot more. And I usually, one other thing on these thinking trips is try to do like a, um, how should I say it? Like a, a routine, a set routine. Don't do a lot of exploration. So I come to Palm Springs. I always do the same thing. I usually come on Friday. So Friday night, I get here, we settle in, we don't do anything, we eat at the restaurant, at the hotel, kind of go to bed early, then the next day, we meet for lunch, there's a buffet, Saturday, and then I work all day, go to the gym at around 7 or 8 at night, then we go to P.F. Chang's uh, in Palm Springs at 9, 9 to 10, and then we see a movie from like, you know, 10 to midnight, come home, go to sleep, then we do Sunday, wake up, same thing, lunch, buffet at the hotel, and then we do one more set of work in the afternoon, whatever it is, thinking, reading. And then I usually go home Sunday. Sometimes I'll do a four-day. But you can do this. If you can't afford to do a three-day weekend, don't have the time or the money, you can do just one night, two-day, one-night thing. So try it. Thinking trip, change your life, and change your business. Okay? So logging out today is, uh, what is today? My daily diary, Sunday, September 3rd, 2017. Okay, welcome to today's special podcast radio program, The Ty Lopez Show. Literally, I have almost my favorite person in the world to talk to on. His name's Dr. David Buss. We're going to be talking about sex, love, lies. We're going to talk about how society has told us lies since we were young about love, about monogamy, about marriage, about dating. Dr. David Buss is literally, I wouldn't, maybe he wouldn't, he's humble enough to say he's not the preeminent evolutionary psychologist, but he is certainly one of the most respective scientists around the world, 
wrote the textbook Evolutionary Society, uh, uh, Evolutionary Psychology. He's a professor at University of Texas, Austin, and uh, he's taught me more than most of my mentors. So listen very closely, and uh, yeah, he's going to FaceTime in. So if that sounds a little bit off once in a while, just bear with it because he's chiming in from Texas, okay? We are talking about sex, love, and lies. Sex, love, and lies with Dr. David Buss. You've heard me talk about him. This can be one of the most interesting conversations I promise you've heard in a long time because we're going to be talking about controversial subjects. Uh, Dr. David Buss is a professor at the University of Austin. Uh, so you're down there in Texas. It's probably not raining as much in Austin, is it? Did you get a lot? No, not at all. Yeah, yeah University of Texas at Austin. University. Yeah, no, we're, it's actually sunny here. That's awesome. Well... I'm glad it's not hitting everywhere. It's been enough damage in one place. Uh, if you go on my, people always ask me for book recommendations. And if you go on tylopez.com slash books, you'll see me talking about this one book called Evolutionary Psychology. It's a textbook. It's used in the big school. It's used in most of the big universities, right? Yes. Yeah. It's kind of the definitive work on this subject called Evolutionary Psychology. So evolutionary psychology pertains um, to really human behavior, but the most recent version of how we see it, because psychology has obviously gone through a million stages back starting with Sigmund Freud, where it was all about, you know, uh, the superego and the id and all that. And now this is even the most kind of cutting edge. So let me let's open with a controversial um, question for you. I was just reading a book on human behavior. Um, and they say humans, if you get down to the science, we are not monogamous, but we're also not really polygamous. So the average person in the world is not married to three people, even if they could, or even, it, uh, even if it's legal, like it is in many countries, they're not. So would you agree with that statement? Or are we monogamous sexually? Is that how we're built? Because a lot of people want to believe that. Or are we built to just sleep with tons of people and never settle down? Okay. Uh, I, I think what I would do is I would reframe the question. Okay. And, uh, because I think that uh, what we have evolved is a menu of mating strategies. So those mating strategies include long-term pair bonds where we basically hook up with one person for a long period of time. It also includes short-term mating, opportunistic sex copulation. Uh, it also includes uh, serial mating, mating with one person breaking up, mating with another person for a while breaking up. Uh, and it also includes um, uh, uh, mating with more than one person at the same time. So polygamy uh, or polygyny, if it's one male, multiple females, or polyandry, if it's one female, multiple males, that's rarer. Uh, and, so, and so I think the proper way to phrase the question is what is the evolved menu of mating strategies that we have and uh, under which circumstances do we implement each mating strategy? So it is the case that uh, behaviorally most people pair off with one person, at least for a time. Actually, I think, you know, most people pair off with one person 
break up, mate with another person for a time, and are relatively monogamous within those relationships. However, some people mate with multiple people, either in the form of one long-term mate with some... Uh, some cheating on the side. Yeah, yeah, or what we, what we call in the biz um, EPCs or extra pair of copulations. Um, and, uh, and, and then there are some, I mean, polyamory is another, is another one that you hear a lot about in the media these days. And so I think that the, the way to frame the question is not are we monogamous or are we polygamous, uh, but rather what is the menu of mating strategies that we have? How are they different in men and women? And they are different fundamentally in men and women. And under which circumstances? Uh, and so those circumstances are things like, um, well, mate value. Those men who are high in mate value are more likely to implement a strategy of, of multiple mating. Uh, those, uh, you know, so so there's that. So would you say would you say it's a little bit like I think it was uh, K- uh, Chris Rock who said a man is only as faithful as his choices. So if a man, you know, if you're Hugh Hefner, if you're you know multi billionaire, and you have the choice where women are falling all over you, or you're a really good looking supermodel guy, you're less likely to to just settle down with one person. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and, and the data bear that out, you know, the studies bear that out. Um, however, I, I would also say that, you know, even within that, there are some men who have the opportunity, um, and that's that was Chris, Chris Rock's phrase, I believe, is, you know, men are only as faithful as their opportunities. Uh, it, some men do have the opportunity and choose not to act on it, and so right. it's almost like there are some... Uh, personality or dispositional individual differences, which also influence what main strategy someone adopts. Yeah, because Bill Gates is the has been the wealthiest man in the world for a long time, and he's stuck with, as far as everybody knows, one woman. Uh, you know, he's been married a long time, so th- there's that, and then there's Warren Buffett, the second richest man in the world. He he ended up convincing his wife to let him have a girlfriend the whole uh, for a good 20 years. He had two, two. He didn't have a lot, but then there's people who certainly are getting out there. I mean, here in Hollywood, you look at actors, A-list people. They're 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 not a lot of them that are monogamous. There's some. That's right. Well, that's the thing is, I mean, in, in Hollywood, you're talking about people who have a lot of opportunity. Um, and so, you know, one of the things is when you have a lot of opportunity, you have a lot of people interested. You have a lot of mate poachers around. Uh, and, you know, if you hit a you know, small bump in your relationship, people are more likely to say, hey, I have better opportunities elsewhere. Um, so, so opportunity is definitely a factor. Uh, but other things affect it, things like uh, that people are not sufficiently aware of, I think, like sex ratio. So what is the ratio of men to women in the mating pool? And when there's a surplus of women, uh, the system is more likely to shift to one of short-term mating and away from monogamy. So surplus of women, you get more short-term mating, uh, more breakups, more unstable long-term mating relationships. When there's surplus of men, you get the opposite. You know, men who are fortunate enough to um, to attract a woman basically hold on for dear life. 
That's like China right now. In China, you have a, a, an imbalance of men to women. I have some, um, I've had an office in China for many years, contractors that work for me. And it's interesting because they're the most important thing is that you have a house. So if a man does, because it's very competitive, a woman won't even, because women have so many choices between men that if a guy's not, you know, a standout and owning his own house, I had to give one of my employees like a, like a bonus in order to him to put a down payment because he's like, man, I want to get married and this girl's never going to marry. If you come to play, play, you know, if you come to Hollywood here in Los Angeles, there's more women than men. And men here, women complain, you know, it's not a great place to have a relationship in New York City or in Hollywood, you know, big cities like that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Man- Manhattan's another place that absolutely there's a sex ratio imbalance. Uh, women uh, flock to Manhattan, and uh, that's why even like guys on Tinder in Manhattan, they do extremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that sex ratio imbalance. And so, I mean, one of the ways to translate that is that uh, when you have a surplus of one sex, the rarer sex has higher mate value. Right. It's like beer goggles. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you this. So I'm going to give a real life scenario. I have a friend of mine. I'm not going to say his name. One of the most famous entrepreneurs in history. And he lives here in Los Angeles. This guy's multi, 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 multi millionaire. And so uh, this is his quandary. And I think it's a lot of people, it brings up a point that addresses a lot of people's questions. So he's single and he says, Ty, I'm very, I'm very visual. So I need the girl to be very beautiful. The problem is when I find a very beautiful women, it seems like all of them are nuts and insane. So I kind of, this is my theory and I want to run this theory by you. By the way, if you're just tuning in, uh, this is Dr. David Buss, one of the top evolutionary psychologists, professor, University of Texas at Austin, uh, written one of my favorite books, which I recommend. It's just an evolutionary psychology textbook. Also, have written how many other books have you written what's the other ones you have the uh, so I've written yeah so the evolutionary psychology the new science of the mind uh that's the textbook that you're referring to yes uh i also have the evolution of desire the evolution of desire human mating yep um and then the dangerous passion uh why jealousy is as necessary as love and sex that's obviously about jealousy and infidelity uh focuses heavily on those two uh dangerous passions yeah. A book called The Murderer Next Door, yes. which is about why people kill other people. And that's, of course, closely related to mating, mating a murderer. A lot, I forget, it's a huge percentage of all male murders are related to somehow a man being cheated on, thinking he's being cheated on, being uh, somehow embarrassed in front of women, you know, uh, it's, it's mating related. What percentage is that of murders? Uh, that are mating related, Uh, I don't know, a ballpark would be 70%. Wow. Either directly or indirectly, because a lot of it is, as you say, Ty, uh, status related. Right. And so even things like two guys getting into an argument in a bar, and then they get into a fight and someone pulls out a knife or breaks a bottle or gets a gun, uh, those are related to status and reputation in the eyes of their peers and then sometimes in the eyes of the women who are watching. 
Right. Uh, and so, uh, and so, even though it may seem like, well, geez, these are just two uh, slightly inebriated guys getting into a stupid fight, it boils down to things that are mating related because one of the things that attracts women is status and resources, and guys who lose status and resources, they reduce in mate value and, and have difficulty attracting women. So guys, these are not trivial altercations. These are very important phenomena, even though police sometimes record them as trivial altercations as motive. Right, but they're not. Really. So here's my, so going back to my friend's question, um, I, this is my answer to him. I said, here's what I think makes love in the modern world difficult. A long time ago, you didn't have that much choice. You pretty much married, you know, somebody in your village. There was 50 women and it wasn't that much choice. Now in a world of Tinder and, and you know, big cities, everything's changed. So I said, what, what people want is three main things. Number one, you want attraction. That's the sexual side where you're physically attracted to them. Number two, you want character. And I would define character as simply being a good person. If you want to marry somebody, you don't want somebody that comes off as, you know, likely to cheat on you and just an overall low quality person. So you've got the second one is you want character. And the third one is you want commonality. You want to have common values. You want to uh, be able to, you know, enjoy the same things. I read somewhere that one of the predictors of what keeps people together is having similar interests because eventually you married to someone long enough. It's not just going to be about sex. It's a, and I, so I said to my friend, I said, you got the, your problem is you want the best of the best in beauty, which is already, you know, there's less beautiful people than there are average looking people in the world. And you want those other two. So I, he goes, well, then should I just eliminate one as a need? And I feel like guys do that. So, for example, some guys go, I'm just going to get a super beautiful wife or girlfriend who's a good person, but I don't care if we have anything in common. A lot of guys that I know that date beautiful women, one of their biggest complaints is, oh, she's boring. I, you know, I have to go hang out with my friends to have a conversation. Do you think we have to compromise on one of those three? Do you think most people do compromise on one of those three? I mean, a lot of people compromise. Like my first mentor, like Joel Salatin, I'll tell you, Joel Salatin would say, don't worry about looks that much. It doesn't matter once you're married. So he'd say focus on the other two. What's your take on that overall thought? Yeah, well, I, I like the three that you that you mentioned. I think those are absolutely critical. I would probably expand the list a little bit. Um, so I would. I, I think one of the other things that's important is to be uh, similar in intelligence. Uh, so it, because. In order to have conversations with someone, if you're too discrepant in intelligence, then it's just not going to work out because the less smart person is not going to understand what you're saying. Uh, and then you so said that that person has to always dumb down what they say. And then the, uh, the smarter person is always going to be frustrated because they can't have a high-level conversation that they want to have. Uh, so I think that there, there are some other things, but I really like the three that you say. I think, um, you know... In long-term mating, if, you know, people differ in whether they view their spouse or, or long-term mate as someone who's going to fulfill all the things for them or whether they're willing to sacrifice. Say, 
you know, and we all make sacrifices. So you don't say, well, let's say I'm a tennis player. Um, you know, I, I don't expect my spouse to, or long-term partner to be uh, equal to me in tennis, but I get that from some other people. Right. Uh, and so do we say, you know, uh, you know, okay, we're going to get some things from other people. Well, we always get some things from other people. But whether you're willing to trade off some of those core things, you know, I, I don't know. Um, me well, personally, I'm not willing to do that. So those, so you would say those four, you really have four. But let me ask you this. How close to the intel? you mentioned this once to me, some scientific, uh, some studies that found, how close does the IQ, the intelligence need to be? Does it need to be the same IQ? No, I don't think it needs to be the same. But I think if it gets beyond, like in the standard IQ test, uh, if it gets beyond 15 points, it gets problematic. Okay. So if somebody's, now let's, so my friend going back, and this is a real friend of mine. Um, I told him to tune in. Hopefully he's listening. He has a pretty high IQ. I would guess, you know, genius level IQ. So let's say 140 to 145. He, uh, so that means he can only, you know, he, he needs a woman who's at least 130. And the, and the more intelligent you look for, there's a smaller pool of people. And he wants supermodel looks. Um, I saw an article where a guy in London who was a mathematician did the math on what he wanted. And he said, he, you know, obviously the woman has to be between, let's say this guy was like between 20 and 30. Uh, he said she has to be single. She has to be female. And he did the math and he said it, his mathematical computation was in the city of London, there was 26 women out of six or eight million people. So here's the problem. If you... If And that wasn't him saying he wanted a supermodel and a super high IQ person because one of the things people forget is the girl has to like you back because I know guys with super high standards, but if the girl applied the same high standard back to him, she wouldn't like him. So he's not super good looking. You know what I mean? So it's it becomes... Exactly, yeah. It has to be reciprocal. So do you think that this number theory, if let's say the guy was right and there's 26 people in London, um, which is pretty dark odds to find out of three, four billion women that this guy's going to find is 26. Do you tell him give up, keep dating, compromise, have short term relationships for your whole life and don't worry about it? You know, what do you say? Okay, here, here's, here's, here's what I say. I say two things. First of all, I would ask, and I don't know the answer to this, whether his computation um, included the assumption that each of these characteristics were in the, independent of each other. Uh, and in, in reality, um, many characteristics are positively correlated with right. each other. So, for example, if you are, and, and most people don't know this, but if you're intelligent, you're actually more likely to be physically healthy also. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's what, what's called in the field a positive manifold in the correlation matrix of, of positive attributes. And so, uh, and so if there, what that means is, I think my guess is that he was assuming that each of these qualities that he wanted were independent of each other. And right. if they are, then his numbers are probably right. But right. if they're correlated, positive qualities are correlated, then there are, there's a larger pool of women. Uh, okay, so that's one thing. But the second thing I would say is even if he's right or even if he's in the ballpark of being right, 
Um, you have to make a distinction between uh, necessities and luxuries in, in mate preferences. So most people have to make uh, compromises or trade-offs with respect to some things. Um, and so you're not going to get the maximum quality of everything you ideally want in a mate. And if you found such a mate, as you correctly point out, Ty, that mate probably is either taken or not interested in you, because matrix right. has to be reciprocal. Um, so, uh, so, so I would say, you know, yeah, uh, if you're interested in long-term mating, you have to make trade-offs in all probability. Um, the other strategy, of course, is to pursue a mixed mating strategy. Uh, you know, get important qualities from one mate and, and maybe have some EPCs on the side. Some, yeah. some people do that. Which I think is what, if you look at even people who won't admit it, the average person in the world, even the most devout Christian, the most devout person, religious person, they're usually married more than once, sometimes, you know, 50 years ago or uh, 200 years ago, about, let's say, half of women's death was from childbirth. So the average man, even if he was monogamous and in marriage, he was getting married a few times. I know this because I lived with the Amish for a couple of years. The average Amish, I mean, they have a lot of kids and the women sometimes die from having 10, 12 kids and they get married again within a year or two. So yeah. even there, it's not completely monogamous. Now, let me ask you if, okay. And that's true. I would just add that your point is true. I mean, as far back as we have written records, so in Scandinavia, for example, they, they kept meticulous records of births, deaths, marriages, divorces, uh, et cetera. And that pattern of, of either death and remarriage or divorce and remarriage, that goes back as far as we have recorded history. Hmm. Well, okay, so let me ask you this. It seems to me of those four, I had three, you added one good one that I left out. So uh, look, uh, physical attraction, uh, commonality, common interests, intelligence, and character. It seem, Do you think there's ev any evidence that as a society, we're becoming uh, higher on the dark triad score? So the dark triad score is one of the concepts you introduced me to. I've shared it with a lot of people, which is basically... Uh, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. Uh, I did, I've did. i done some interesting things, and I told you about this. I'd like to somehow formalize this into a study. Um, I was doing a, a audition for, I have a, t a clothing line, and we were auditioning models. And very pretty girls were applying, casting, and I sent them all this dark triad test, which tests for these negative traits of narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopath. And then I told my staff who was managing the email, block anybody who gets over like a 60 because that's a pretty bad score in any of this. They blocked out of 100, we blocked about 70 people when I came back and looked. And that's higher than normal. So it, I'm not saying that proves anything, but in general, I've seen studies that show narcissism's going up. Individualism is going up. So is it a problem that the reason people can't match up as easily is because there's a there's a lack of quality of people out there compared to 
100 years ago where people lived on a farm and they were more, you know, religious and they, sure, there was some crazy people like Adolf Hitler and Stalin, but the general population was nicer. I found, for example, going to rural places, going to the Amish or Joel Salatin, people are a heck of a lot nicer, more caring than in a big city like Hollywood or Manhattan. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. Uh, I mean, yes, there is evidence that narcissism has increased over over generations, uh, and probably psychopathy as well. Um, I, I've talked. To, I actually talk about this in the book you mentioned, uh, evolutionary psychology. That um, that one of the things about psychopathy is it's basically a cheating strategy. So, um, and one of the things that, that about the modern environment compared to ancestral environments is we have much more geographic mobility. And so what that means in small group living, if you, to put it bluntly, if you fuck someone over, then you develop a reputation as someone to be, to avoid or, or perhaps the group might get together and punish you or kill you. Uh, but in the modern world where you have geographic mobility, you can escape many of the consequences of a psychopathic strategy, right? And so it's and so uh, and so. I think weirdly, the modern environment has created selection pressures that that favor a psychopathic strategy compared to what it would have been in small group living of our past. Uh, and so I think you're right that that you know that there is good empirical evidence on narcissism, and I suspect when the data come in, there will be also good evidence on the other two aspects of the dark triad, Machiavellianism and psychopathy. Yeah. I mean, for those of listening, a quick intro, narcissism is, is, and this is not going to be the purest scientific definition, but it's a somewhat inability to see things from other people's uh, side of the story, seeing the world with you always at the center. Machiavellianism is more of a, I always think of it as sneaky, uh, a sneaky approach two-faced approach you're nice to somebody's face and not so much when they're not around and psychopathy is related to uh lower empathy lower emotions it, you don't feel when you hurt somebody it doesn't bother you at all and and obviously all of these i think i'm right in saying these are generally grouped together as exploitative traits they people try to take take more than they give if there are any of those three is that right yeah yeah that's right and i mean that's i mean it's certainly one of the hallmarks is interpersonally exploitative um and um yeah uh the other the other aspect of narcissism that i think is important to mention uh is a sense of entitlement so huh. people who are high in narcissism they feel entitled to a larger slice of the pie a larger share of the attention, uh, you know, the uh, 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 you know the, the better uh, a larger share than anyone else deserves, and they feel that's just their right that because of who they are, they are so so brilliant, so so uh, intelligent, so good looking, so amazing <laughs> that they just naturally deserve all these things. So. It could be as simple. I've always been a big believer in the power of geography. There was a great book by a Harvard professor. I think his name was Landis, and it was why some nations are wealthy and some are poor, and he talked about the geography of things. 
the book um, Guns, Germs, and Steel kind of broaches this. So could we possibly say, and you talk about this in your book, about migration patterns of people who live in the islands of the Mediterranean versus people who live on the mainland being more aggressive and so on. Could we say that the rise one in the year 1900, I read this fascinating statistic, 1%, uh, sorry, it was either 1% or 10%. I might be misquoting. But let's say 10% of society lived in large cities. 90% lived rural or small villages. When, even when my grandma was born, 1918, um, it, wa- it was pretty much, you know, horses, and she would go to small towns in Germany. Now, in the year 2000, it completely switch 90% of people live in large cities 10% rural and since you said in big cities we can get away with stuff cuz we won't see them again so you go out on a tinder date a guy goes on a tinder date with a girl treats her badly or vice versa and he knows ah, I'll just disappear into the big into the big hollywood city in miami you think that it could just be opportunistic changes that that it would have been any society would have done it but they didn't have the chance because they lived in small towns well yeah yeah and you, what you do is you you eliminate the the costs and the reputational damage uh associated with exploitative strategies um and so you know in in large cities you have anonymity that you would never have had in small group living. I mean, small group living, everybody knows everybody else. Word gets around, and everybody knows who slept with whom, you know, who exploited whom, who cheated, who uh, slacked off on the hunt, etc. Uh, in large uh, group uh, living in urban settings, you don't know. People people can escape uh, the reputational consequences that would have been catastrophic for these uh, dark triad traits in the past. Do you think social media is contributing to any of this or it's not causation, it's just correlation? Now, if you already were, would have been a narcissist 100 years ago, you didn't have an Instagram to show it, but there was same amount of narcissists. Or do you think now there's actually social media is contributing to the decline of people's, you know, <laughs> character? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, Ty, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know. I don't have a strong hunch on that. I mean, what do you think? I think that it's not as bad as people think in the sense that there was narcissists. I mean, certainly, I just read the story of Mao Zedong, the Chinese dictator responsible, they say, for killing. He was the most narcissistic person ever. He lived in a small village, in, but I think, that what happens now, those people were sheltered, society was sheltered from them. They lived in a little town in Iowa or in China. And now a narcissist can actually impose and create an Instagram and, and then influence younger people to go, Ooh, I want to be like this person who posts 7,000 selfies all the time. And so I think it's, it's not, it hasn't doubled the amount of narcissists. But I would guess if you took all social media away, there would be less. But, but I think the city, big cities, is more of a contribution to it. Yeah, and, and there, there, there also might be selective migration, kind of what you were alluding to earlier with respect to islands. I mean, that, that undoubtedly happens also with respect to cities. And it's not random right. who, 
who moves to Manhattan or who moves to Hollywood. Right. Um, yeah, big cities attract. I mean, Hollywood here where I am, every girl that was cute, every guy that thought he was good looking in every little town in the world tries to take a shot at Hollywood. So when you go out in Hollywood, you're dealing with the most narcissistic people handpicked from every little town. And I think it, I think in your book, I read it on, that said, for example, people in the Midwest of the United States are less likely to be um, narcissistic, probably because the narcissist picked up and moved to Manhattan or Miami or London. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think there is definitely selective migration, which is really it's really fascinating when people then move to a place and they find themselves in a pool where they are no longer the best looking. Right. Uh, and uh, and it's a it's a fascinating phenomenon. The economist Robert Frank uh, calls this choosing uh, what was it called choosing the right pond. Uh, so you huh. know, yeah, I mean, everyone's heard that cliche of. Uh, you know, big fish in a small pond, but you know, I mean, you see that both there and also, I mean, you see it in in my field in academia, where people who were like the smartest in their high school, then they go to college, and then everyone else is, the, you know, was their high school star. Then they go from college to graduate school, and they find they were the smartest in college, but they find now they're no longer the smartest in graduate school. And then graduate school, the professor, they they thought they were pretty smart in uh, graduate school, but now they they're, they might be in the bottom half of the distribution as a professor. So I mean, right. these, these stratification, these, these different ponds occur at all levels. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I had a Joel Salatin, a friend of mine, went up to him and he said, Joel, because Joel married his high school sweetheart, and he said, Joel, how do I find a good girl? He wanted to either get married or at least have a girlfriend. And Joel is this farmer, and sometimes farmers, you know, they don't have all the science and all this, but they give some of the most common sense answers. He said, well, you got to go to where the good girls are. <laughs> and like, because as, as simple as that sounds, a lot of guys I see, you know, I have friends that teach pickup artists and they, you know, they're pickup artists and they publish courses on how to meet girls. And they're always like, okay, here's how to meet girls at a club. But at the end of the day, that's adverse selection. A lot of women who are at a club are precisely the type of women you wouldn't, it's like going to a strip club to meet a wife. I mean... It's probably not the best pond. Um, no offense if anybody's listening here as a stripper. Not all strippers are bad. But even if uh, sometimes I'll say that and I know some girls that are strippers and they get offended and they're like, all strippers aren't crazy. And I'm like, well, OK, we'll say you're not crazy, uh, crazy. But are any of the girls you work with crazy? And they're like, oh, they're all crazy. So, you know, you got to you got to make it not about them. And then they agree with you. So going back one quick thing, you said that you have to have trade-offs. So going back to my friend who's very wealthy, pretty good-looking guy, um, but wants all four perfectly. He wants beauty, physical attraction. Uh, he, number two, he wants commonality that he has a lot to talk about. He wants them to be intelligent, and he wants them to be good people, not psychopaths, not narcissists. Yeah. If it's you and you're him, what would you do 
now at this point in your life, you're a very smart guy, very wise person. You've studied this subject for 30 years. Would you compromise on any of them? Would you just say, all right, I'm going to find four different women. One's a really pretty, but an idiot. Um, one's very smart, but not so attractive. One's a great person, but I don't have anything in common. And one, I have everything in common, but nothing else. Would you do that? Would you try to find two women that have half and half? Would you just say, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, well, if it's, if it's, if it's four, and, and I think it's, I mean, it, it, these things depend on whether you're a lumper or a splitter. So, I mean, you could, for example, break down character into several different types of character traits. But if it's just four, then I think you can, if you're high in mate value, you can find someone who fulfills all four. Okay. Uh, and so, personally, on those four, I, I, I personally would not compromise. Um, and I don't feel like, in my case, I, I have to compromise uh, on those four. I mean, you can't, yeah, boy, those are, it's just, that's a real tough one because, I mean, you know, if you're in, into long-term mating, uh, you can't, you can't compromise on the intelligence factor. I mean, really, if you're, if you, as I mentioned before, if you're too discrepant, if you're more than 15 points IQ difference, it's not, you're not going to be able to have good conversations. Um, and if your if your values are not aligned, um, you know. So yeah, you can get uh, things like uh, James Carville, a Democrat, and married to Mary uh, married to I, I think her name's Mary Madeline, a Republican, and their marriage seems to work. But that's very rare. If you really differ fundamentally on politics, on religious values, on world uh, orient world orientations. If you differ fundamentally on what you value, um, it, it's going it's to be really a conflictual relationship. Uh, character, I don't think you can live without that either. And I don't know, I, for me, attractiveness is important. I know I'm unlike all other males in that <laughs> I, I find physically attractive women to be attractive. Um, but to, you know, to, to me, that's a non-negotiable. Now, let me throw, I'll just throw a monkey in this wrench even more complicated. So this guy is older. I think he's about, let's say, 40, I think he's 48 or maybe 50 years old. He looks young. So I asked him, what age girls does he usually date? And he says, you know, 23 to 32. And so at some point for a man and a woman... Uh, do you have to compromise a little more because you're less attractive? For example, one of the things I've found, and this is going to get me in trouble to say, but I'm just, you know, I just read a book by uh, Frederick Nietzsche, the philosopher, and he said, the truth is too hard for society. <laughs> like if you say it, people get mad. But I'm just going to throw, this is my observation, could be completely wrong. I find that women, let's say, who are 25 years old, they're kind of go with the flow. They're like, oh, I'll meet a guy and he'll just be great. And when a woman's 45, she's like, he's got to be tall, rich, handsome, da, da, da. But it's almost backwards because when a woman is 45, less men are pursuing her. And that's a fact. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying. So I feel like sometimes we actually get, we, we don't realize when you're at your prime is when you should be the pickiest, and then you got to be a little less picky as you are no longer in your prime. Would you? Is that am I off base there? Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely, absolutely right on that. 
you know, people have to, uh, I mean, if you, if you don't adjust the mate value of the people that you're interested in, based on your own mate value, you're going to be in for a world of frustration. Yeah. Because if you're going after people who are higher in mate value than you, then even if you manage to attract them for a brief period of time, they're going to end up dumping you or cheating on you. Yes. Um, uh, and also you don't want to settle for someone who's lower in mate value. Right. Uh, so, uh, so you have to, I guess, have good insight into your own mate value, which, as you say, does change over time and over circumstances. So, like, for guys... Status is a very important uh, quality in a man's mate value, uh, and guy's status changes. So if you increase in status, you all of a sudden have access to a different pool of mates. If you drop in status, you know you you file for bankruptcy, lose your house, or whatever, uh, then you have have to adjust down. Yeah, and people. I mean, what you and I just said. People do not want to talk about in society. I don't think there's ever been one Oprah Winfrey show, one Dr. Phil show, one book published, you know, in the in the kind of uh, feel-good book world. Most feel-good books are like know your worth, know your value. But what they mean by know your worth is just create, invent that you're so amazing. You know, people, sometimes I tell people, I say, because I'll meet people and they'll say, Ty, I'm a genius, or and we're going back to narcissism. And I go, okay, what's the square root of 69,342? They have no idea. I say, well, you might not be a genius. Some people say, I'm very good looking. I am a mate. I say, well, when you walk down the street as a guy, do women hand you their numbers all day long? Because I had a friend who's very good looking guy, and that's what happened to him. And so I feel like we have this tendency to not want to be honest and self-aware that, well, maybe we're not as good looking as we thought. And so we can't be as picky. Uh, you know, do you think there's something to that? Yeah. Yeah. Ty, I think you're absolutely right on that. I mean, and, and you're right. It's sort of like a taboo topic in a way that, you know, we, we, it's somehow unacceptable that people have a different value. Um, and, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that is sort of a, a qualification to that or a positive note is that people do value different things to some right. degree. Right, but there, But there is a lot of agreement about, you know, who's, who's high in mate value, who, who are the eights and who are the sixes and who are the fours. And it's a, it's a harsh fact of life. We, we people have different value. Um, and, um, and, and it is important. And, and so, so that's why I don't, I, I, I don't, like the the sort of uh, weird things that you allude to uh, that the pretending that somehow oh yeah you just you, you really are this uh you really are a 10 you just don't know it yet or, right <laughs> love your see the inner beauty so as we kind of wrap up here let me ask you this for a man and a woman listening watching live or listening to the podcast what are ways within our power to become more attractive people. I mean, people do all kinds of things. Women, for example, plastic surgery is rampant around the world. Uh, lip injections, boob jobs, these are things that women are doing. Now, they'll say they're doing it for themselves, but they, they know what the deal is. They know it gets some more attention from men in general. I'm not saying that's why all women do it, but it's certainly, if you're 
have any common sense, it's part of it. Men do things like try to become rich or not drive a nicer car. What are some things maybe that you found that are within everybody's reach that people forget about that there's science behind that shows do these minor things and you become more attractive to almost everybody? Yeah. Uh, well, that's a great question, Ty. I mean, I think there, 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 are, there are some things, and we don't have time to go into all of them, but I'll mention just a couple, maybe. Um, uh, one, one thing is that, of course, is under people's control, but I think not, pe- not everyone pays a, enough attention to it, is personal hygiene. <laughs> and, uh, for, a, for a guy, especially, this is important because guys tend to be m- more... Uh, nasty. <laughs> and women t- can tell that. They can, they, we know this is uh, another little-known fact, but women have a more acute sense of smell than guys. And so they can smell things. So if a guy doesn't smell right, that's, that can be a deal-breaker. Yeah. And so attention to personal hygiene is something that's under everybody's control. And, and, and so I, I think that's one, do, one domain that people don't pay enough attention to. Um, a second is, uh, has to do with the point that you made earlier about the importance of character. Um, and character is something that can be built. And it is something that's built over, over a lifetime. I mean, you're not born, you know, with character. It's something that you acquire and develop over time. And some people get stunted in their character growth, and some people continue to mature and try to improve themselves as, as people. They try to become better people. Uh, and so becoming a better person, I think, is something that is within everyone's reach, and that will improve your mate value. You know, and, and then, of course, there are other sorts of things, improving social skills, uh, which everybody can do, improving speaking skills, which everybody can do, uh, actually, I was uh, recently reading a, uh, a book by Richard Branson, the, uh, the guy who uh, was uh, yeah, the- Virgin, Virgin mm-hmm. um, Airline Virgin Hotels, etc. And uh, he's talking about all the mistakes he made and all the ways in which he tried to improve how he wrote, how he spoke, um, how he delivered talks. And so, and so I think a lot of these things are really relevant to improving mate value. Yeah. So anyway, those those are a couple of things off the top of my head. Yeah. And of course, um, as we talked about, I mean, women do value status and resources, and that's something that is also within our control. Yeah, I tell men, sometimes guys go, oh, I see these pretty girls with you, Ty. Are they only there because you have money? And I go, well, maybe. So get your money up. That's what I tell people. <laughs> you might want to learn a thing or two. For a woman, what, what do you think... Because I've found that men underestimate going to the gym. Like some guys, and, and women for sure, they want to live in a world where nobody cares about looks and they forget. And it's funny, sometimes they're very picky on looks and what they're looking for, but they're fat, out of shape. I mean, I think that's one. And am I right in saying that even though it might not be the nicest thing to talk about, looks really matter? In terms of especially things within your control, you can't change your face that much, but you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and although it is the case that men place more importance on physical attractiveness, women also place importance on attractiveness, and especially being physically fit. You yeah. know, I mean, being physically fit is, I mean, it's a sign of health. You know, women in our evolutionary past who picked men who were 
unhealthy or out of shape or unfit or, or had a high parasite load, etc., yeah, they weren't going to be around long. They weren't going to be good providers, good protectors. So, so absolutely, uh, go, go to the gym. Awesome. <laughs> good cardio shape. Simple uh, as good muscular shape. All right, Dr. Buss, thanks so much for being here. Let me, I'm going to do one last thing. I'm going to do a little Snapchat to advertise this, and then I'm going to I'm, – uh, that'll be – I'm trying to make sure my friend came on this call or else I'm going to tell him to listen to the replay. I'm very interested. I'm here with Dr. David Buss, truly one of the most interesting people I talk to on a regular basis. Go watch the live Facebook or Instagram replay or listen to the upcoming podcast. We're talking about sex – love, mating, talking about how to become more attractive, does it matter what you look like, should you compromise, are you a beautiful person within but nobody realizes it and that's why you're single. So uh, Dr. Buss, thanks for being on. Hey, great talking to you, Ty, as always. Okay, but by the way, if you want, what is the best place to go to Amazon, I mean one of the best places if you want my, I'm telling you, one of my favorite books that I read, I read your, your evolutionary psychology book at least twice a year from start to, to finish. Um, go uh, Evolution of Desire, Dr. David Buss, uh, or go look on my website, tylopez.com slash books, and you'll see in the top 10 there the evolutionary psychology book. You can click to it. It's a link to Amazon. It's, you know, it's a textbook, so it's not the cheapest book you'll ever buy. But you get what you pay for sometimes, and it's an amazing book, and it'll explain what you know. What your book did to me, it made me realize that a lot of society lies to us, and that the truth is somewhat common sense, but it's also unprogramming or reprogramming some of the false data that got put in our mind by society. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ty. Well, I appreciate your your positive comments on my book, and uh, you know, I. I, I hope people enjoy it. Awesome. Well, I hope to do this on a regular basis. Be watching for this. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care, Ty. All right. Bye. If you want the chance to enter into one of my free giveaways, here's all you have to do. Number one, subscribe to my podcast. And then secondly, leave an honest review of my podcast. What do you think of it? All right. I pick random reviewers to win either an iPhone 7, a GoPro Black, a MacBook Air, iPad, Kindle, and then I've been doing these uh, once a month free car giveaways, giving away a Mustang or Camaro to one random social media follower, podcast followers are entered into that too. So you'll get your free chance to enter, just leave an honest review and make sure you subscribe to my podcast. All right, I hope you win one of the giveaways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or wherever it is you like to listen so that you don't miss out on any new episodes as they come out. <laughs>